Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. And uh, what, what I'm going to do is uh, I want to talk a little about the Notre Dame job. Um, and, uh, who I think, what I think of the job, obviously having played the place a long time ago and things have changed some, but some of the challenges to it. And, um, we'll, we'll get to that with Mike Bray announcing his retirement. I, I think, you know, that was a forced retirement that the, it hasn't been nearly as good of late, but that shouldn't take away from what an incredible job he and his, uh, his staffs have done over the years. But I, the reason I want to do that more at the end is let's not bury the lead. We got part two of shaka smart um when we last left shaka okay he was down at clemson Uh, we had taken his journey from high school in wisconsin to college in ohio then to starting the the, uh, coaching in college at california in uh, in pennsylvania and then on to division one basketball what led him to go to work for billy donovan and from billy donovan what did he learn and when we think of his time with Billy D, I think many people think, well, he was there with the back-to-back national championship years. Like, no, that's not the case. He was only at Florida for a year. How did he get the VCU job? What was it like to get the VCU job? Uh, there's so much good stuff in here. And the feedback from you guys at, at Gottlieb Show, Twitter, and Instagram has been incredible. I truly appreciate it. Uh, let's get back to it. Here's part two of my conversation with Marquette head coach, Shaka Smart. How'd you get to, how'd you get on Billy's staff? Rob Lanier, um, who's a coach at SMU uh, and and a great guy. The most um, convincing person I've ever met, Rob Lanier. If you have a conversation. His wife, by the way, brilliant. Yes. (laughs) Dio, yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, So Rob called me right around, I think, the final four of 2008 and he said you know we're gonna have a job open it's not open yet um but when it does open um i think i can get you in there for the job are you interested and i had worked billy's camp so florida was another camp that i had worked as a young kid in fact doug i worked their camp the summer after they lost in the national championship game to Michigan State. Okay. So this is Mike. Yeah. Yep. This is Udonis Haslam, Brent Wright. Uh, this is Teddy Dupay. Brent I know this Dupay. is the team that ended my career. I'm, I'm completely aware of the, of the, uh, of the yeah. team. They yeah. had dudes. They had, uh, what was a kid, uh, Justin Hamilton? Justin Hamilton was a dude. I mean, yeah. he was a dude. So, yeah, we, we, I, I made the personal decision in the scout to not guard Justin Hamilton. He was, a, he was only a freshman. 
but by not guarding him, like, I don't know if he instinctively or Billy told him to go to the offensive glass and he had like four big offensive rebounds. And like, I had never boxed anybody, a guard out in my life because everybody gets back. Right. And it really changed the game and yeah. that he figured out how we were kind of guarding, but they had, I, I, I believe seven, uh, Brett Nelson was on that team, right? Uh, yeah. seven, who is the, remind me real quick. I, I know his name. Who is the lefty? He had left and gone to the NBA draft to went to the Dallas Mavericks. Lefty freak athlete. Oh yeah. Um, oh my God. Uh, Donnell Harvey. Donnell Harvey. Yep. Was one year. He was one and done. He, he was a one and done. Like nobody talked about one and done. And by the way, like we, Fred Yonsein, who's I'm sure going to listen to this pod. A very good player. He's a, a sophomore. He's our starter. We're like, Freddie, every time he gets it, he ain't shooting. Shot vacant going left. One dribble. He's going to try and put you on sports center. Sure enough. Oh, that guy was, oh my God, did they have some dudes. And he oh. came off the bench, I believe. Yes. I mean, that that was a. Had, I mean, you had your Donald's pass to Mike Miller, Matt Bonner, Brent Wright. <laughs> Brent yeah. Wright. They were loaded. So anyway, I worked at camp and, uh, I have never, I'd never been, I've never been more impressed with a basketball camp. Even since then, it was like a factory, but it was really good. And their players, like every other camp, played pickup when camp got done, like every other camp. But this pickup was different. First of all, nobody else could play. So, like when I worked at University of Dayton's camp, I played pickup you know, with the players, when you go to other camps, you know, other guys could come in, you know, different guys that played at Florida. No, no one else was playing. They had, I think, 11 guys on campus, um, including, I think, one like former player who was the kid named Shannon that could jump out of the gym. Um, uh, Eddie Shannon, a little, po- little point guard. Yeah. Yes. Could jump out of the gym. Really good player. He's in coach. He, he has one eye. Yes. He only, yeah. He only has one guy. eye. Really good guy. So anyway, these guys are playing pick Eddie, up. Eddie Shannon. Eddie, Eddie Shannon. Shannon. And I'm watching, and I'm 23 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm an aspiring coach. And I'm watching these guys play pickup. And, Doug, they're this close to fighting. There was no fights, but they're this close. And we're talking about Udonis Haslam. Uh, Brent Wright. But you're talking about summer pickup, right? That, that's that, that's yeah. the point. It's summer pickup. It's summer pickup. But it was so impressive how competitive they were in pickup after the damn basketball camp. And so I left there with this reverence for Florida and for Billy and for that program. And so now eight years later or whatever, seven or eight years later, Rob Lanier calls me and he says, hey, I think I can get you in there for this job if if you're interested. I'm like, hell yeah. And so I went through an interview process with Billy that was fascinating. You know, he's a unique, Billy is a unique guy from a lot of standpoints. But when he interviews guys, like he, he's a processor. It takes him a long time to like decide what he wants to do. And I almost lost the job very early in the process because they had me drive down to St. Augustine, Florida, where he had a, he had a condo on the beach. And so we went into the condo. It was Billy, a guy named Duke Werner, who's a longtime trainer 
at Florida that had the closest relationship with Billy of anyone and myself. And so we're about to sit down to kind of talk and they offered me a beer. And I'm such a dumbass. Like I don't drink. Like I've never drank beer in my life. Like I, 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 when I was a young kid, I was around someone who was an alcoholic and for whatever reason that scarred me, like I ain't fucking drinking. Excuse my language. So, um, he, so he, he, he asked me, you know, do I want to drink a beer? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'll just have water. And that, that almost lost me the job right there. I mean, I almost didn't get the job. It's like, who's this guy? Like he comes in here and can't even have a beer with us. But fortunately he still considered me. Um, that, that team had what Calathis and Chandler Parsons, right? We had Calathis, Chandler Parsons, Jay Lucas was on the team and he transferred mid year Irving Walker. Um, we had it was a young team. I forgot Jay. I forgot Jay Lucas was on that team. Totally forgot. Yep, Jay was on the team, and I'll never forget. Um, he transferred after the first exhibition game, so it actually it kind of cost him that year's worth of eligibility yeah. just playing in that exhibition game. But um, it, it it was a it was a young team, and Nick Calathis was as good a passer as I've ever seen. Um, we have a kid now, Tyler Kolick, that yeah, he's is probably right up. And, and I know you you could pass with the best of them. Um, but Nick Calathis, he he just had this vision about him, but he still was just a sophomore. Chandler was just a sophomore, and they were our two best players. And uh, they probably didn't quite have the maturity yet to be on Billy's level of competitive character. And so that was a challenging year. You know, Billy went to two NITs in a row after winning yeah. the two back-to-back championships. And so I was there for the second NIT year, and he was not in a great place. Like, he he was not particularly pleased with, you know, just the, the, the team and where we were. And I'll never forget, Urban Meyer came to talk to our team. Him and Billy were really close friends. And Urban was so disgusted with the team um, just from watching us. And he came in there and he said, the only reason I'm talking to you guys is because I'm friends with your head coach. Otherwise, I wouldn't even waste my time. And he was in the midst of, I think, two out of three years winning a national championship. But I'll never forget, he, he, he had this great line that I use with our guys all the time. He said, the first level of leadership is taking care of your own shit. You can't be a leader unless take, you take care of what you need to do. And so his point to that team was like, man, take care of your own stuff first, which I thought was a good team and in, in an area where we needed to grow for sure. When did, how did the BCU thing happen? Man, uh, so I was 31 years old. I went down to Florida. My, I loved it at Florida. You know, my wife actually, strangely enough, didn't particularly like Gainesville. Um, she likes like most everywhere, but I loved it there. And working for Billy was like, it's like basketball camp for a coach. Like it's, it's both fun and intense and long hours, but it's, it's just so much, so enjoyable. Um, and he was really, really good to me. So I did not want to leave. And I felt really uncomfortable because the AD from VCU, Norwood T called 
I had known him from this program, the Villa Seven that they did for right. some coaches. And he said, do you want to interview for the job? And so I called Billy and I'm like, should I interview for this job? And he's like, if you want, do you want the job? Do you want to interview for it? Up to you. So I was like, I guess I'll interview for it. So I interviewed. Oh, no, so you had never interviewed for a head coaching job previous? No, never. I'm 31. Hey, I'm listen. I'm the distant third assistant at Florida. It's Larry Shiat, Rob Lanier, and myself. So I, I'm the young guy. I, 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 I'm only, you know, I've been at Clemson two years, Florida. So it's my third year at that level. And so I interviewed with Norwood Teague. I didn't know how it went. Talked to him for a while. And then the next day he calls me and he's like, yeah, we'd like to fly you and Maya up to Richmond and, you know, just kind of see what the fit is like with the president, what you think of VCU. And I'm like, holy shit. And it was not a good feeling, Doug. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't like I was very, you're, you're not ready for it. Right. Like you think you're like, yeah, yeah, I, you was, know? Very, I was very uncomfortable, like. um which I guess in retrospect, it's a good thing, like to be uncomfortable. But I was so happy and comfortable being there at Florida and just learning from. I felt like I was learning so much from him, particularly the mental side of the game. Like that, pe people don't understand about him. Like he's definitely an X and O genius, but the amount of time and attention he puts into the psychological side of basketball. I don't know if he did this when, when you were there because he told me he did it late at Florida before he left. I'll never forget, uh, I was at CBS, and it was Kentucky's last regular season game when they went undefeated. And uh, Billy's dad and my dad knew each other from being kids. And in my house, like we revered Billy Donovan because I grew up on Big East basketball in California because it was 4 o'clock every Monday. That's what we watched. Anyway, so, uh, and he's always been great to me. And he said that something that he did, and he, again, I don't know if he did it when you were there, but he started having players meet with a sports psychologist. And then they had group sessions as well in terms of psychology discussions. And it was because- It wasn't a psychologist though, Doug. It was- It was, it was a regular psychologist, right? It was a counselor. Yeah. It was counseling. And it was, a, it was ingenious. And when I talked to Billy all the time, uh, he, he always mentions, I don't know why more college coaches don't have this position on this, or at least there's someone. a, there, there's a, there's always been a taboo there's always been a taboo to it. Right. Like yeah. coach Sutton sent me to a sports psychologist for the shooting stuff and it, it helps some, but again, there was still kind of a taboo of like, you know, like, Oh, you need help. What do you, you know? I mean, you know, like it's a guy out the world and being vulnerable and talking about your issues has never been something like go out there and play, you know, figure it out. So I, I think and like he's a lot more evolved than so many people would ever give anyone, you know, anyone credit. But yeah, like it's a it's a gigantic part. I mean, I, I, I remember I remember it to this day. I was I went back there to kind of just sit with him and it ended up being like we talked for an hour and we talked like five minutes about the, the kids and the players. And the, the rest was about psychology and about all the things you learn about people, yourself and the kids and what they learn about each other. That was it. Yeah. Like, he, okay, I got to go broadcast the game. 
he's a genius. Um, and he's, he's so curious about it, which is awesome because he's, he's already knows so much, but it's like, I want to know more. Um, so anyway, I, I really didn't want to leave. Wait, wait. So, so when you, when you, when they say you want to fly up, like, had you told Maya about the interview? Like what was, Oh yeah. I told, uh, yeah, we, we, we talked every day, every night about this stuff, but I, so when Norwood T called me about coming up there, I called Billy again and I said, coach, I said, I will not take this job if you don't want me to. Like I've been here for 10 months. I didn't come down here to like leave after a year. Like I, 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 I want to be loyal to you and I'll never forget. You got to ask Billy about this next time you talk to him, what he said to me. He said, he said, shock. He said, if you want to take the job, take the job. If you leave, I'll get someone better than you. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> and so when we got on a plane, I thought it was still like 50-50 on whether I was going to get the job or be offered a job. And Doug, when you fly out of Gainesville, you can only fly to two places. You can fly to Charlotte or Atlanta. So we connected in Charlotte to go to Richmond, Virginia, where VCU is. And when I got off the plane, I turned my phone on and I got about 150 messages. Congratulations on the VCU job. You're like, I, I haven't been offered the job. Yet. Yeah. I hadn't been offered the job, hadn't touched down, hadn't, hadn't met anybody. But that was, uh, I was the coach of VCU at that point. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you land in Richmond, okay, uh, what, what do you remember about, like, what's that, what's that day like? A shit show. I mean, it was, it was an absolute, so my wife was with me, um, but as soon as we landed, they take my wife and they kind of take her on like a tour of Richmond and she's doing all this fun stuff. They take me to meet the president. The president at the time is a guy by the name of Eugene Trani, Dr. Trani. He's about five foot five. He's the most intimidating five foot five guy you can imagine. So he looks at me and remember, I'm replacing Anthony Grant, who was highly, highly successful. Great coach. And, uh, and Jeff Cable before him. 
was Jeff highly successful. Him. Yeah. And these guys had, had kicked ass at VCU and, and, and were really, really well-respected. And you know, AG is a, like just an impressive figure, six foot yes. five, built like, you know, so. Not just that, but he has a way in which he, he's kind of quiet. And it's like he's figuring everybody in the room out. Yes. Like it's one of those things where you're like, sometimes guys are quiet and you think they're meek. This guy's quiet. You're like, mm, I no. don't want to mess with him. And I want to impress him. him. Yes. So, so I'm replacing him. And, and so the, the president looks at me and he's like, ah, you're awful young. He said, but uh, <laughs> Norwood says, Norwood says you're the guy for the job. So I trust Norwood. He said, I just, I need you to understand this. He said, we have an 89% winning percentage in the Siegel Center. That was our home court. Yeah. He said, we don't, we don't lose at home. So I just need you to know that. I said, okay. So I kind of swallowed. And uh, then he said, and in the past three years, Coach Grant has won, and it was X percentage of his road games. Because Anthony's winning percentage was ridiculous there. And, and so I said, okay. <laughs> So, okay, home games, road games. And then he said, and we expect to be in the NCAA tournament as well. So this was, and, and again, this is all in the backdrop of being 31 years old and not really having an ultimate confidence that I was ready to be a head coach. Um, but it was an unbelievable learning experience my first year. You know, messed a lot of things up but learned a lot of things, tried to emulate Billy and Oliver and Keith and the guys that I had worked for as much as I could. Um, and, you know, just, just learned a lot. So you get the job first. Did, did you own a home like in Clemson own a home at Florida? Both. Yep. So had so to sell those. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and now did you handle any of that or did Maya handle all of that? My, my wife, Maya is, she, she is a real estate star. Um, she's unbelievable at finding homes and she loves it. Um, and, and so, yeah, she took care of all that. In fact, every time we've moved, I never really come back. So, like I told you, we got on a plane to go to uh, Richmond. Gainesville. From, from Gainesville, yeah. From Gainesville. I never went back. Like, literally, I was there. I she shipped me some more clothes and stuff like that. So she's the best when it comes to that. So you, when you get a head coach, so again, okay, here's the weird thing. Like you would have taken the job. They said, Hey man, we're going to pay you a hundred grand. Like, I don't care. I want to be a head coach. What do you, do you negotiate how much it is? No. They say, how much does it pay? And that's what you take. No negotiation. It was, here's what you're getting. Um, didn't have an agent. You know, it's funny. All these assistant coaches now have agents. Um, and, and I tell them like, Hey, if you're fortunate to get a job, you have no bargaining power. Like you, like the, your agent, isn't going to be able to negotiate some great deal for you in most situations. Now, if you go to that job and you kill it now, it's different. Um, did you give her any parameters on, Hey, I'm a head coach now. So I got to have space to have people over, or do you just like, just find somewhere you're happy. Well, the parameters were we just didn't have much money at the time. Right. Uh, so, so we actually didn't buy a house until my second or third year. 
at VCU. And it wasn't because we didn't want to buy a house. It was just, you know, we were trying to, you know, collect some money. But um, we lived in a, in, a, in a condo on the 10th floor in downtown Richmond my first year. And um, it, it, it was great. I, I, I wouldn't trade that for the world. And we, we, we only have one child. We have a daughter. She was born at the, in my third year at VCU. So after we went to the Final Four, she was born. And that obviously changes everything for a, for a coach. So you get the job. How'd you put together your staff? Got really, really lucky. Um, guy named Mike Rhodes, who's the head coach at VCU now, um, was the head coach at Randolph-Macon. He had been like a ridiculously good Division Three player, National Player of the Year, won a national championship. So I kind of knew about him. He was, a, I think, four years ahead of me. Um, and Kevin Eastman called me um, and he said, would you be interested in Mike Rhodes? And I said, yeah, I, I, I've got a ton of respect for Mike Rhodes, but I don't, I don't know if he would take the job. And he, he said, he said, you, you should call him. And so we ended up getting together and he was the best um, assistant coach I've ever been around particularly for a young head coach like I was at the time because he had 10 years worth of experience. Um, Will Wade was on our staff. He was as good of any, as any head coaches or any assistant coaches I've ever been around. I worked with him at Clemson and I met him at Clemson when I went down there the first time I told you, I went with Oliver for about four or five weeks when he got the job. Will was the most diligent young guy I'd ever been around and the most um, smart, shrewd, hardworking guy I'd ever seen. Um, and then I worked with him when I went back to Clemson as an assistant. So that was an easy hire just to to have a guy with that type of work ethic and that type of uh, attention to detail. And then we hired a guy named Bill Courtney, who's been in the business for a long, long time. He ended up leaving after a month to go to Virginia Tech. Um, and so we were really lucky in that when he left, Mike Jones, uh, who's a coach at UNC Greensboro, um, was the coach that we added, and he was just awesome. So, how'd you find him? I just had known him from being on the road. He was at Georgia when I was at Florida and Clemson. He had beaten us on a couple recruits when I was at Clemson. A kid named Travis Leslie broke my heart um, and went to Georgia over Clemson. So, I always respected Mike for the job that he did. And, um, he was in between jobs and, and and came to us. The staff was the best part of the job. Um, and that's when you know that you got a chance to be successful, I think, as a program, is when the staff really, really gets along and enjoys being together and it's kind of all in the same boats, rowing in the same direction. I mean, you look at a lot of these staffs, Doug, on TV, and I've been in this boat for sure. But you look at there's some head coaches right now that they're looking at their staffs and they don't know the guys. Like they don't know who they are. Like they're like hired guns or whatever. And I'm not being critical of anyone. I'm just no. saying like there's a real power to having a connectivity and an actual relationship with your staff. No and question. Hiring, a guy to, hiring a guy to get a guy like that is it's it's been oh. done and it's been successful, but it's tough. It, 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 it's tough. So, OK, now you're putting together your staff. How did you decide 
how you wanted to play. And like you said, you're all of these guys that you played that you played for and coached with, right? Yep. But you've never been a head coach. So how you do meetings, how, you know, who's doing offense, who's working the guards. Do you do the Keith Dambrot thing and go in the locker room after? How did you decide what you want to do year one? Man, I, I was terrible at delegating because uh, I was used to doing so many things, you know, just as an assistant, you just do it yourself. Um, so I, I took me a long, long time. Um, I'm just now probably getting getting good at delegating. Um, in my press conference, I made a, made a comment where I said, we're going to wreak havoc on our opponents. And... For whatever reason, you know, it was it was important to me in recruiting um, first in recruiting, actually, which in retrospect, recruiting was not the most important part of this. But this is how it kind of came up is it's like we got to have something that's different, like something that right. sets separates us, apart, us, separates us. I mean, we're a, a mid-major school and there's all these. And so. I remember being in a meeting with. Uh, our staff and a friend of mine named Dave Tellup, who is the director of, of scouting for the Spurs. Um, and Dave used to come up and just kind of help us brainstorm. I think Dave's as good of a recruiting, you know, consultant or, or uh, uh, guy to have. And, and so I said, well, you know, I did, I used that word in a press conference about a month ago, havoc, maybe, maybe that's something we can, and that's kind of that, how, we we kind of got into using that as an identity, and I knew I wanted to press just because I love pressing. Um, Billy had done it. Oliver had been so good at it. Um, I loved it when I played, and so we tried to take a lot of the things that Anthony had done because obviously Anthony was a Florida guy, so a lot of the stuff he was running was Billy's stuff. Um the challenging thing was the best player in school history was graduating. Um, Eric Maynard, who was a really, really good player. But then we had a bunch of other really good players back, but they weren't Eric Maynard and they wanted to be him, but they weren't. So I, you know, I had to kind of figure out along with our staff how to make that work. Um, but that's how we kind of settled on just, Hey, we're going to go after it. We're going to be as aggressive as we can. And that word really helped us with clarity in terms of how we're going to play. Your first game is Bethune-Cookman. You've never been a head coach. You obviously did the exhibition games. What do you remember about it? Not much. I mean, I just remember winning the game. I remember, uh, you know, us not necessarily playing the best. Um, I, I, I've always been really – um critical of myself after games yeah um, so I, I remember that um and then i, I remember you know that uh, some really really dear friends and and our ad norwood put together like a reception for me after the game to kind of celebrate my first game so I, I remember that but i'll tell you this our second game you lost to western michigan western michigan and i mean if you coach long enough you you go through these type of games I believe we were up 16 and then lost by double figures so like it was like a 30 point swing 83 uh, 67 was the final score yeah 
So, I mean, the wheels completely fell off of that uh, 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 in, in that game. And so at that time at VCU, we we didn't charter all the games, but that was one game that we did charter to. So we flew back. We got back really, really late at night. And I'll never forget, Doug, the next morning. Um, so it was my first. I've always, I told you when I was a young kid and, and throughout my coaching as, a, as an assistant, I've always struggled with losing. I, I've always had a really hard time. And, and even to the point where, some of the head coaches that I worked for when I was assistant and this, I look back and I'm so mad at myself about this. It's just, it's so self-centered looking back on it. Some of the head coaches I worked for, they felt so bad for me, like, but they were the head coach because they knew how I took it. So anyway, we lost that game and I didn't sleep much. I'm just tossing and turn. I didn't sleep really at all. And so the next day, we're getting ready to play Oklahoma in three days. The alarm goes off six in the morning. I got to get up. And I was like paralyzed. I couldn't get out of bed. I was paralyzed, man. And so we're in this condo that we were staying in. My wife was already awake. She walks back into the bedroom at about 6.30, I'm still there. My eyes are open. I couldn't get out of bed. I was paralyzed with just anxiety and fear and self-doubt and uh, just a lot of negative stuff. Yeah. And Maya says to me, get the hell up. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Get up. You lost a game. Did you think you were going to win every game? And it was really, it was a good, it was a good, it was great advice. So I got up and, and uh, man, I remember that next practice. I did not, you talk about coaching confidence. I did not have much confidence walking in, 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 into the locker room to talk to that team. Because again, after losses, like I, I always like put it on myself. And um, those guys were great. I mean, just the way that they were, uh, we, it was fortunate. We were playing Oklahoma. Jeff Cape was a coach, right? Jeff Cape was a coach. They were nationally ranked. It was that they had Willie Warren and Tiny Gallon, Tommy Mason Griffin. They had a good team. And uh, talented team. They had a talented team. True. A talented team. And they came in and and, and our guys were awesome. We we won uh, pretty pretty handily. And uh uh that was a my first lesson as a head coach in like you can still win. Like, even though something messed up just happened, you lost a game, you, you can still win the next game. You're okay. Hang in there. What was your first game against Richmond like? We won. Uh, I know. It was uh, – that's a heck of a rivalry. And, you know, being a part of rivalry games is so much fun. But, again, as a coach, it's really easy to fall into an avoidance goal of, like – not wanting to lose when you're because you just don't want to let people down. That's the biggest thing in a rivalry because it means so much to people. You don't want to let them down. So it was a it was an odd game in that we had two players that weren't necessarily our best players that just had out of body experiences and were just they, they played terrific. And again, it's one of the millions of times where I've been humbled as a coach.
And I've been reminded that it ain't about me and I'm not the one affecting the win. Those guys just played out of their mind and we won. How, how so? I mean, just, just because that wasn't even the plan like you and, and they just, they just did it on their own. No, I mean, I didn't know that those guys were going to go in the game. And do, I mean, we had this guy's, uh, we had a guy named Terrence Santil, who was like a backup big. And he comes in the game. And you know how sometimes when a guy comes in the game and you can just see, man, he's got some pop tonight. He's yeah. got some real energy. Yeah. So he just had it. I mean, he looked like he was, he, he, he was in fast forward. So he played his ass off. And then we had a senior named TJ Gwynn, who was kind of a surly older guy. I uh, played for, I, I think he might've played for three coaches. He might've played for Capel too, or been recruited by Capel, played for AG and didn't really, you know, wasn't so bought into everything we were doing all the time. Didn't, I don't know if he really bought me as a young coach, but man, that night he was phenomenal Had a great game. So I, it's just, it's humbling because you don't plan those sorts of things out. And when they happen, you're able to go win the game. And when they don't happen or when they happen for the other team, it's going to be tough. That team ends up going to the CAA championship game where you play Old Dominion. You'd split with ODU that year. Beat them at home, just like your president said, got to win your home games, win your home games. Lose to them last game of the year, you lose to them on the road. You win two in the in the conference tournament in Richmond at the Coliseum. You you play them. Take me to that game, man. It's one of a handful of games that I would love to have back. Um, we were up twelve with I don't know ten minutes left to go, and uh, we, they just went out. Had you had, forgive me? Forgive me. I, I didn't. I forgot to look. When you at Clemson, did you guys go to the NCAA tournament? Yes. Yep. My last okay. year. Yep. Okay. So you've been there once, right? I don't think you did, did you go with Akron? Nope. NIT. And you didn't go with Florida, right? So you, you've been there once, but your first year as a head coach, like when you wake up in the morning, is that in your mind? Like we win this thing, we go to the, I'm in the NCAA tournament, or is it simply, you know, you're a, this is how we beat them. This is how we lost them. Here's what we want to do. How does your brain work when you wake up the morning of a championship game? Uh, it's more, it's more just, how do I get the guys in the best place for them? And that's, that is a thousand percent Billy Donovan influence. <laughs> um, so like, it's not even about like, obviously you want to win, you want to go, you, you're thinking about all that stuff, but it's, you're thinking about a million uh, personnel factors that, that, that are good, that are going to impact the outcome of the game. We had this kid named Larry Sanders who is one of the most talented guys that I ever coached and um, just a, an awesome young man, but, but very, very emotional, you know, it came from a tough, tough background. And, um, you know, when Anthony left, a lot of those guys on that team were just extremely upset um, the way that I was when my coach left when I was in college. And so that first year, sometimes they took that out on me <laughs> as the as the next coach. Um, but I just I wanted to try to help Larry 
being being a good place. He was dealing with what so many young, talented players deal with, which is all the outside forces trying to get to him. And he didn't have necessarily the greatest support system around him. So they didn't necessarily shield him from it. And I'm a young head coach. I wasn't the greatest at knowing how to handle all that stuff. Um, and I just remember thinking after that season, man, I wish I, I could have done a better job helping him. He ended up being the 15th pick in the draft, uh, left early after his junior year. Um, and then, you know, interestingly enough, he leaves early. And then the guys that we have coming back go to the final four, which is. So, okay. So, let, so we go to that game. So you're up, you're up, you're up how many in the first half? We're up 12 with about 10, 12 minutes to go. What happened? Man, uh, ODU was a really physical team. Blaine Taylor was a phenomenal coach. I mean, really, really good. I'll tell you, he still, and I call him about this. I've asked him about this a couple times recently. He had this way of going to zone defense about midway through the first half. And if it didn't work very well, he would get out of it. But about half the time, it would kind of throw the other team off, and he would stay in it through the rest of the half. Now, it's, is it that weird zone that those Montana dudes run where it's like the slides on one side are like one three one, the slides on the other side are, are, are different, right? Yeah, it's, it's got a couple different zones, but yes. it, was, it I was. actually I actually think, to be honest with you, and you can ask Blaine, I think it's only one zone. It's it's side based on the side of the court because my, my brother was at Oregon State with Wayne Tinkle and they yep. ran that zone when they went to the, to the NCAA tournament and he was trying to explain it to me. It's like I don't understand anything what you're talking about. That's like two different defenses, like exactly. And it was really more. It's not like even that it was this great zone, but it was more right. psychological. Yes. And man, I look back now. Like now, we just run our man offense against zone. Like. Correct. I, 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 I don't over respect what they're in or overthink it. I mean, there's a couple of things you do differently with spacing against zone. But at that time, as a young coach, we're trying to run all these like zone sets, zone plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and sometimes when we played them, it really messed with us mentally. And so then when they would start the second half, they would they would start in man to man. But you knew. At some point, the zone's coming again. And when we had that lead, they went to zone. We had some really good looks. I remember we had a couple wide open threes to, to push the lead to 15 that we missed. And, uh, you know, they just outplayed us down the stretch. What's the feeling like? I mean, here, here you are, the guy who doesn't like to talk to people after you lose. And you lost in overtime. Um, the guys what, trashed what, what, the locker room. Um in the Richmond Coliseum. Uh, you know, it's interesting because people use the word like winning and losing with class. Uh, but sometimes when people, you know, lose and they don't necessarily demonstrate class, it's because they really care. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. because, and sometimes when you, when somebody loses or win, like maybe they don't care as much. And so, like, give me the guys that care. Like, so we had this kid, Joey Rodriguez, that he, like, he just couldn't stand it that we that we lost to them. And so he just, you know, those guys didn't handle it very well. But 
I'd rather have guys like that. Me too. Um, how important was the CBI to what you ended up doing the next year? Yeah, so we 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 on selection Sunday or that week leading up to it, I was calling the um the no, that was the next year. I'm sorry, I'm getting my years messed up. We we thought we were gonna make the NIT, okay, that year because we had the best RPI at the time of any team that wasn't like that wasn't going to make the NCAA tournament. And we didn't make it. At that time, the NIT was a little biased, if you remember. Yeah. Um, and Because they they're trying to make money. They're trying to get people to watch TV, right? It's yeah. not about who the best is, right? Yeah. So it was a terrible the, – the juxtaposition of that selection Sunday versus the next year was like heaven and hell. Um, and so we get – so the AD – is like our AD Norwood's like, do you want to play in this CBI? And you I'm have like, to pay to play in the CBI, right? You got to pay. You got to pay money for home games. And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, and our players did not want to play. They called it the can't believe it. CBI, can't believe it. <laughs> and so, hey, we used to call the NIT the not invited term, like, or the, we, we, we call it the Nebraska Invitational. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, because Nebraska always went to the IT. So um, we played GW in the first game, I believe it was, and it was like a straight pickup game. I mean, it was talk about captive audience. Neither team had a, neither coach had a captive audience that day. But what happens when you get in those tournaments? And, and this happened They're competitive because they want to win the tournament. We were in the NIT uh, one year at Texas, and we 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 ended up winning it. When you once you've played the first game, if you win, the guys are like, "Well, we might as well win. We're in it. Yeah. We might as well try to win." Yeah. And so it was cool. We actually, you know, what was cool about the CBI is the championship is the best two out of three, mm -hmm. and we got to play against Rick Majerus and St. Louis, who obviously the the Marquette connection now, but. Rick Majerus is, I mean, one of the best basketball minds of all time. And we beat them at home. And so now we're going to St. Louis and we're going to play one or two games there, depending on if we win the first one. And our guys played their asses off in the first game at, at St. Louis and we win to win the championship. And then I find out later the reason that they said they played their asses off is because they did not want to stay in St. Louis for three days. They wanted to get back to Richmond. <laughs> Again, a million, million and one humbling moments in coaching. All right, there's part two. Um, we will be dropping parts three and four next week also. I, I, I don't want to jinx this, but Tyler Hansborough told me he'd He'd do one next week. So Psycho T, who's been in the news recently, where John Wall said that Psycho T blew him off, and that's why he went to Kentucky. I don't, I don't buy that story, but I'll let I'll let Tyler tell his version of the story when he joins. So this is the podcast we want. I've been sending this and Joe Golden to so many people, and I know many of you loved it. Uh, I wanted to drop this one on a Friday, so many of you going to a game on a Friday night or traveling back from 
or going on, you know, if you're recruiting, if you're a college coach on the, over the weekend, th this is your source. Um, really quickly on the Notre Dame job, obviously Mike Bray did a, did a very good job. I think it was helped uh, after John McLeod got fired and Matt Doherty came in. They let Matt Doherty take a transfer. That transfer was, was Ryan Humphrey. Hump now, by the way, has gone from Notre Dame as an assistant to uh, being on staff at the University of Oklahoma. And that's that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting because, you know, if you look at the guys who could take over at no, at Notre Dame, the, the guys that, that fit, right? Um, I think one of the guys that fits what they need, how well he's done, how he purports himself, style of basketball, etc. And I think fits probably better than where he is currently is Porter Mosher. And Porter obviously took Loyola Chicago to the final four and he's been, they've been good at Oklahoma. It's just, you know, his style of basketball, you know, where I think truth be told, he'd like to play a little bit more physical, a little bit more pack lining defensively um, than, than how they play at Oklahoma. And they're going to the sec, which is a, Crazy athletic league, but it, it is not nearly as, I don't want to say methodical, and you know, but I don't know if the basketball IQ element to it, the physicality element to it that he teaches and preaches and buys into is as a much lighter, like it's personality. He's not Majerus in any way, right? But basketball style, there's a lot of Majerus to it. I just, I think that one might fit a, a bit better. And then you got to take in uh, the idea of Fred McCaffrey. Fred McCaffrey obviously has been kind of an institution at Iowa before that, crazy successful at Siena, uh, before that, successful at UNC Greensboro, and before that, a longtime assistant at Notre Dame. So he's been a successful head coach. His wife, Margaret, is, was a great player at Notre Dame. They have incredible connections there. And it's not like the Iowa thing is burned out, but, you know, his, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Patrick coming back, but obviously Patrick could come with him. You know, Connor is um, in his in his last year playing. I just, I don't know. I haven't talked to them, but I, I do think that that one would be one where you look at how you have to recruit at Notre Dame to be successful. Um, California, I mean, he signed me out of California. He's got great connections. You got a national recruit, but you also got a recruit in Philly where he grew up and played. Got a recruit in New York where he's been, really successful. You got to recruit in, um, in Chicago, in the Catholic school leagues in DC as well. And, and, you know, that's kind of his jam. So I think his style of play fits with how they want to play. Uh, but more than anything, like Notre Dame is a kind of unique place. Academically, you got to be able to not only get in, but stay in a lot of things to it. I think Fred McCaffrey would be a good, uh, good guy. Marty Inglesby, who of course he recruited to bring to Notre Dame will be another guy, Chris Quinn. I don't think they did the NBA thing, but you never know with, with Jack Swarbrick. Those are all guys with Notre Dame ties. And I, I think that, you know, a guy who I'm a fan of, and he's the head coach of my university, Mike Boyton, uh, because of his ability to, he's obviously shown he can recruit in Texas, but, you know, he's a New Yorker and Notre Dame's still something in New York. And um, I, I think that, that Mike might bring a certain appeal because he is, and you know, you don't want to lose him, but he has, uh, he has an incredible way with people. You know, he's just one of those guys you walk away going like, damn, he's, that's a good dude. It's a really good dude. So that, that's kind of my general list. I know Pat Kelsey's killing it 
at College of Charleston and his success and, and how people feel about him at Xavier is important because Cincinnati's a very big Notre Dame area, tons of Notre Dame people there. So I think we're all kind of circling around about the same guys. Uh, wouldn't be crazy to think Dusty May would be in the mix uh, because, you know, the White family has employed him as both an assistant coach and now his, as a, his athletic director at, at uh, Florida Atlantic. And remember um, that uh, their ties to, to Notre Dame as well. So those, that's kind of the working, my working list, what I'm thinking in my head. I'm probably missing a guy or two. And despite, you know, how it ended at Notre Dame, I think the world is the place. I do think they're in the wrong league because as great a school as Notre Dame is, small, private, high academic institution, it actually mirrors, you know, a lot of the schools they play against. And it's like Virginia's kind of got it rolling. Granted, I know that's not small and private, but high academics. So Virginia is it's closer to kids in D.C., closer to kids on the eastern seaboard. And a lot of the same, you know, they're, they're recruiting the same student athlete. And you look, you know, Stanford may make a change. Northwestern may make a change. Private, high academic schools are struggling right now in the new world order. Uh, more than anything, though, I, I want to make sure I, I congratulate um, Shaka Smart on how they've been playing but and thank him for doing this pod. He's been so awesome. And like, again, he's promised three and four. We're going to deliver three and four sometime next week. Hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the hoops. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Three six five. We don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainer, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.